open up your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 7. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, know this, that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. Matthew was a Jesus follower. He uh, wasn't a religious person at first. Then he was... He engaged with Jesus, was introduced to Jesus, and his life was changed. His story was changed. And so he wrote this eyewitness account. And so he's writing down what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said this. He said, keep on asking. Everybody say, keep on. Keep on, <laughs> keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. Say, keep on seeking. Keep on seeking, keep on seeking and you will find Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a, a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, this is mentioned again in Luke's, uh, I think, chapter 11. And so um, in Luke 11, it talks, it, it, it's in relation, he goes on and carries up further into relation to the Holy Spirit being in our life and that type of thing. But, but there's a principle here that Jesus is talking about as far as asking to continue asking and seeking to continue to seek. It's not just a one-time moment. It's not just an event. It's a pursuit. It's something that we do. And knocking, it's to continue knocking. To do that on a, you know, just to make that just our normal, just our pursuit. Now, I, you know, I kind of think that I'm just kind of the normal guy. I, you know, I think if I like it, probably most guys like it. If I don't like it, probably most guys don't like it. If it seems weird or makes me feel awkward or uncomfortable, I feel like it probably makes most guys, it seems weird, awkward, uncomfortable. So, you know, a lot of times I'm like, I'm a pretty good filter or if I struggle with this probably most men do and so I will just tell you this much there have been times that we have lost things at our house or I'm looking for something and I'll ask my wife hey babe where is this thing at where is that thing at and she will tell me she'll say well it's in that drawer it's in the second drawer uh, you know in the kitchen on the right side of the cabinet so I'll go to the second drawer in the kitchen on the right side of the cabinet and I'll pull it open and I'll look and I'm like it's not in here and she said, well, did you look for it? And I said, well, I look like a man does. <laughs> do, do any of you ladies in here, is that how your man looks? Does he look kind of like that? Yeah, yeah. Some of you, I can see you're in fear of raising your hand. It's okay. <laughs> this is a safe place. It's a safe place. <laughs> and so, man, that's me. I'm kind of like, and, and so finally, you know, she'll be like, okay, I'll be in there in just a minute. And then like in 30 seconds, she's found it. Exactly where she said it was. And I'm like, I don't know why we don't skip that step. You usually come here and look for it, okay? I mean, that, that would just be easier on all of us. Because you know how I'm going to look. I'm going to look like, nope, not in there. And, and I really do think my wife has this incredible gift. And I, and I think, again, it's kind of unique to you ladies. Like, I can say, look, man, I need a, a, a safety pin. And she goes, well, two years ago, we used one. And I stuck it up in the, in the cabinet. And it's underneath this little medicine uh, bottle. And I'll go and pull up like, how, how did you know? I mean, we haven't used it in two years. It's there, you know? I mean, she just knows that it's there, you know? And so she has it. So let me just tell you something. If, I, if I'm really looking forward, if I'm putting effort into it, it must be of great value because sometimes you know she's not there and I can't find it that I'm like eh, I'll just do it without it but there have been times that we've lost things misplaced things can't find things and man I'm engaged and I'm looking 
I'm seeking it. I'm, I'm pursuing it. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm really doing that, you know, that I've committed to do that. I, I've shared this story before, but years ago when we first got in ministry, in order to go in ministry, we took like a 40% cut in pay. So it's kind of a challenging season for us financially. And we were living in New Mexico and we came back here for, during the holidays and we had some friends that took us out to eat and they're just great friends of mine. I went, we went to high school together and they were doing well in business. And so we got to eat with them and they give us a Christmas card and on the inside of a Christmas card was a check made out to us. And it was for like $300 and man, that would be like $10,000 today. I was so excited. I mean, we were just so blessed and we thanked them. We were just so grateful. And so then, you know, we had dinner, we went back to my parents' house and, and, you know, spent Christmas with them. And then after Christmas, we made our way back home and we get back home and I was so excited. I was excited about depositing the check in the bank. The bank was excited about me depositing the check in the bank. People that we owed money, they were excited. I mean, we could have thrown a party and there'd been a huge celebration about this check. And so I'm getting ready to do it. I can't find it. Yeah, I know, man, you're feeling, you're hurting for me right now. I get it. Yeah. And I'm just telling you, man, we had this, we had this 75, 1975 Ford Torino. And it, we, it, my, the, you know, it had been bought new. I mean, they're all bought new, but anyway, it had been bought new. And, uh, you know, and so now we've, you know, we've got it. And man, it's now, it's, it's, it's a hoopty. And so it's just, it's, some of you know what a hoopty is. And so anyway, so, you know, it was, it was just, you know, it just was a, it was a sleigh ride. But so and we're, you know, we're looking for it. And so I go out in that car, man, and I'm like pulling up seat cushions. I'm looking, I go in the trunk of the car and I'm looking for this check. There are, there are tater tots from the Ford administration in that car. <laughs> I mean, that's how, I mean, I'm looking cause I am committed to finding this check and I couldn't find it. And eventually I had to make that embarrassing call where I called him up and I wanted to say, hey, could you guys send us another check? But I didn't want to do that. I want to be that guy, even though I was hoping that God would deal with their heart again. But um, I called him up and I said, hey, look, you guys probably need to put a, put a hold on that check. I think my wife lost it. And so, um, well, that's what she gets for making me make the phone call. Anyway, so, so you know, so I call and tell me, oh, we, can't, we can't find it. And, uh, and they were gracious. They said, oh, man, we'll, we'll put a stop on it and we'll send it to you. And I was glad. The bank was glad. Bill Collector was bad. So anyway, they were all glad. But anyway, but it was just so out of my character to commit that much effort into looking for something. But it's because I knew how important it was. And it wasn't just this one thing. Oh, hey, it's not there. I mean, I looked in different places. I was committed to seeking it. Because of how much it mattered to me. You ever taken notes? Number one is this, is that, you know, when we talk about seeking, you have to commit to seek God's plan. You, you've got to commit to do this. It's not, it's not just uh, when I have time that, that we're committed to it. Commitment, I, 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 I have to tell myself in, the, my, in my life on a regular basis, and I say this up here, but I think it really is one of those things in your personal life. I would encourage you to embrace this truth, and that is, Commitment brings clarity. One of the reasons why we have so little clarity in our life is because we're so unwilling to commit to anything. Once I'm committed, a lot of times the decisions that I need to make, I know what they are. And I make those decisions. You know, sometimes I don't make the decisions I need to make and I feel kind of lost. But the truth of the matter is, it's because I've withheld commitment to, to whatever that is. When we start talking about seeking Jesus, seeking God's plan, seeking the kingdom of God, that we have to commit to seek it, that it's, it's not an event, it's not a one and done thing, it's a part of my life that I'm committing to do that. So number one is this, commit to seek God's plan. Look at number two, go with me if you would to Matthew 13. 
And in Matthew 13, um, these were, Jesus was sharing some parables in regards to the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like this. kingdom of heaven is like that. And so in Matthew 13, verse 44, he says this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So he said, first of all, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it and sold everything. Everybody say everything. In other words, everything, all these things that at one time had value that declared something to him, he sold those things because he found the thing that he was looking for. And he goes on to say here, Jesus goes on to say, he said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything. Everybody say everything. There's that word again, everything. Say everything. He owned it, everything he owned, and bought it. So the other guy, man, he was, he was a merchant of pearls, and he went around looking for the nicest pearls, and he found one that was unlike anything that he'd ever looked for before. And other things that he'd made sacrifices for and other things that he made commitments for he, that had great value to him, he sold all of those things for this. In other words, he rearranged their value in his life. That these things that at one time were the most important things, they were no longer that. Matter of fact, so, so he, he got rid of them in, in comparison to value for this one thing. And I think part of the challenge that we have sometimes is that in our relationship with God and what God has to offer, one of the reasons why it doesn't take priority in our decisions is because sometimes we lose sight of how important it is, of the values. Now, I'm sure to talk about me for a minute, and maybe you don't struggle with this, but, but I think maybe you do because I think we're a lot alike. You know, there's seasons in my life where God's plan and his purpose and, and just, you know, Jesus' presence, it doesn't carry the value with me in my decision-making as it should. I've had seasons like that. I wish I could tell you that every season is exactly like it's supposed to be, but, but that would not be true for me. There are just some seasons where, where other things get picked, get chosen. Now, he's the same. He still loves me. He's not indifferent to me, but I'm different. And so I have seasons like that. And it's because I lose sight of the value of it. Because what I have to understand is, is that my relationship with God impacts everything that I do. Everything that I do. You know, Tina and I, tomorrow, will celebrate our 35th anniversary. We've been married 35 years. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, man, I'm telling you. And, and I'm sure for her, it's been pure bliss for 35 years. And so, no, the truth of the matter is, man, I mean, is that we've had challenges and struggles. And quite honestly, our marriage is in a place now that, if, you know, years ago almost seemed like an impossibility. I mean, it's in, such a, it's in a really good place. Now, and I can tell you, I can tell you that honestly, because I can also tell you honestly that there are times that it wasn't in a good place. Like it was in a horrible place. But here's what I've discovered, too, that my relationship with God impacts that. You know, we do a thing with some of our men called Forged, and um, I may do a, a group for that next uh, life group semester, but, but with that, you know, one, the very first thing we start out with is in Genesis 1, it says, in, uh, in the beginning, God. And so that's like four words, in the beginning, God. Yeah, so four words, in the beginning, God. The first four words of the Old Testament are in the beginning, God. And so I'm just reminded that all of this is about him. When it talks about the creation of Adam, it says on the sixth day. 
And so it may have been six days into creation, but it was Adam's first day. And then the next day was rest. Why did he need to rest? He was just made. I think God did that to remind Adam that, that all of this is about him. It's about Jesus. It's about who he is. That this was here before you got here. And, and you're not the star of this. He is. And, and I'll just tell you that when my relationship with God, when I've distanced myself from him, it impacts how I treat my wife. That when I've distanced myself from him, it impacts the kind of dad that I am. When I distance myself from him, it impacts the decisions I make and the choices I make. Just like when, I'm, when I realize the pearl of great price, that compared to everything else, that this is what really matters. That he is who really matters. Then when I understand that, then it impacts my marriage. Because you know what? He cares how I treat my wife. I know this without Jesus, man. I can be indifferent. Without Jesus, I, I can be focused on my own stuff and disconnected from her. Without Jesus, my words can be harsh, impatient. I can be selfish. But whenever he's in the place that he belongs in my world and I realize that he's most important of all of it, then he, I, he, I hear him, not literally with you know, voice, but just on the inside of me. I, I sense him deal with me. And how I treat her. I sense him deal with me and how I treat people around me. That he'll, he'll nudge me. He'll give me God thoughts. There'll be conviction or an awareness of what he wants me to do. But those guys made all of those commitments. That one guy, when he saw the pearl of great price, other people had seen it and walked by it and didn't make the decisions that he made. Didn't make the commitments or sacrifices that he made. Why is that? Because they didn't recognize the value of what was in front of them. And one of the reasons why we commit to seek and, and not just make it an event, but it's part of our life that we continue to seek his presence, continue to seek his plan and his purpose, continue to engage with him, is because we know how important he is. We, when our kids were younger, and we lived in New Mexico, a lot of times we would go to California, you know, maybe once every year or two, spend time with Tina's family, and they lived in Southern California, and so one of the things we would do on, on one day is we'd go to the beach, and so one year we went, and I think like Ashley was like eight, and Daniel was probably 10, and David was 12 or 13, something like that, and so we went to the beach, and we set up our blue canopy, and it was right there, you know, and so we're out there, not, not just Tina and I and the kids, but, but her dad and, you know, and uncles and cousins and stuff like that. It's kind of a big family thing. And so, so you know, we said, hey, look, you know, when, you know if, you, if you get kind of discombobulated, remember, we're the, we're the blue canopy, we're set right here and that kind of thing. So just make that your point of reference. Oh, okay. So, um, so a little while goes along, you know, and you kind of do that mental check with your kids, like, okay, there's David. There's Ashley, where's Daniel? And so I went to Tina and she was, I, I don't know where he is either. And so we started, you know, we're trying, trying to keep our panic down a little bit. And so I moved out towards the ocean to look and see if I can see him with all these people out there. And I, I don't see him and I turn back around. And when I look on the, on the shoreline, there's like a hundred blue canopies. And so now I'm like, perfect. So... And then you always had that one relative that for whatever reason, they feel like it's their duty or responsibility to tell you how many kids have been abducted to that beach in the last year. Are you looking for your kid? Oh yeah, hey, we need to find him because just last week, man, somebody was out here and their kid got abducted. I'm like, can you go like grill a hot dog or a hamburger or something? Just kind of leave me alone for a little bit, all right? 
And so, man, we had, all, <laughs> we, <laughs> we had, we had, you know, so we're looking. I mean, I could have the mindset, like, I came here with three, we're leaving with two, that's not bad. I mean, I could have that mindset. You know, in, in school, that's, that's barely a passing grade, but it's a passing grade, you know? So, I mean, that wasn't my mindset, man. I, was, I wanted to know. You know, we're, we're looking. So we set aside all of our schedule, all of our agenda, you know, to find him and that type of thing. And we're looking for the longest time. And eventually, I see this, <laughs> this little guy running towards us. And he's running towards us, but he's got kind of this concerned look on his face, probably because he was looking at the concerned look on my face and may have realized by the look on my face that maybe he would have been better off having been abducted than when I get through with him. So, I mean, so, but anyway, you know, he, he comes up there, you know, we love on him, we're glad he's back and that type of thing. And I realize that we got to find a better point of reference. But I say all that to say this, that the reason why we put so much energy in it and effort into it is because of the weight that he held in our life. There's so many things that God that we can, God can call us to. And, and, and you know, you got to be careful when you start talking about these things because then people view it as approval. It's not approval. It's engaging. It's, it's recognizing Jesus and what, how that impacts us in our world. And so there's, there's things he calls us to, to set aside other things Maybe even good things at times. And again, not that we can never do those things, but the question I have to ask myself is, what matters most? What's determining my schedule? And, and you know, it's, it, it's an issue that, you know, again, you, you have to be careful in measuring it by activity because that becomes religious. And, and yet, on the other hand, it does impact our activity. And so... We want to see a move in our lives, and it begins with what we hunger for. And I know, you know, Ashley talked yesterday about, you know, that the woman at the well, that what she was thirsting for, she thought it could be filled up in relationships. And we go to all these other places until we discover the pearl of great price, unlike anything else, not even in comparison to anything else. Matter of fact, these other things should be considered that, you know, if they get in the way of this, then they're not of value anymore. He sold those things because as long as those things were a part of his life, he wouldn't be able to engage with what he wanted right there. And so when we begin to seek God, we have to understand this. If you're taking notes, number two is this. Know the value of what you're seeking. Know how important it is. Know how important he is. How important Jesus is. You know, what, what gets in the way of the relationship with him that we want? What's in the way of that? It could be all of our interests, our hobbies. It could be, you know, our, our own shame, disappointment, guilt, frustration, offense. And we have to be willing to let go of all of those things because the most important thing, the mo most important one in our life is Jesus. He's the pearl. He's, he's the he's the thing that we've been looking for, the one we've been looking for our whole life. And everything else we've accumulated up to that point pales in comparison to him. So number two is know the value of what you're seeking. Let's go to James chapter four. You're in Matthew and James is back towards the end of the New Testament. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You'll keep going. Romans, keep going. First and second Corinthians, keep going. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, keep going. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, keep going, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and James. 
This was a letter that James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, wrote. Isn't it wild that we call a, a book James that was written by a guy named James? And so anyway, he wrote this, and it was targeting Jewish Christians that were under pressure. And so they were going back to some of their old ways, some of their old things, some of the old stuff they were dealing with. And so it was really kind of a letter that the Holy Spirit was using to confront them, to get them to turn back to where they were. It was one of those things that, that, that was, it wasn't the whole theme of the letter, but it was part of it. So you can see that in the language that he uses here in James chapter four, verse four. He said this, he said, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, when every time we get here, I'll probably stop and say this because it's just, I need to hear it and we need to hear it, that God opposes the proud. That's an adversarial stance that he opposed that, that when we're in pride, we're in opposition to him. It's not even that he's indifferent. It's like we position ourselves on the other side of the direction he's going. When we went to camp, we would do tug of war and we had this huge rope. And if all of us got on the same side and there's nobody on the other side, we could pull it very easily. But whenever tug of war began, you'd sit these other people on the other side and this real battle to pull this rope that one person could pull by themselves as long as they weren't pulling against somebody. Now you may not be able to pull at all because you were pulling in opposition to, to others on the other side of it. And that's what pride does to us. It gets us on the opposing direction of where God's headed. So it says he opposes the proud, but then he says this, he gives, um, it's, he said, uh, he, he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace. It's, it's this release of grace in our life whenever we operate in humility. He goes on to say, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close. Everybody say, come close. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Come close to God. Lean in. You know, the word close, you know, and again, we understand this because we talk about this, that Jesus didn't come because humanity needed another religion. He came so that we could have a relationship with him. And whenever we think about intimacy in a relationship, that there's another word that, that goes directly with it, and it's closeness. And so when we come close to God, it means that we're leaning in for a close relationship, for an intimate relationship with him where he speaks to us and we're focused on him and we're engaged with him, come close to God and he will come close to you. And so, you know, again, for me, and this may not be everybody, it may be just unique to me. I've had seasons where, and again, he still loves me. I'm still, you know, I'm still saved, but I'm still his child, but just in my behavior that I've distanced myself from him and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking about and all those kind of things. And then sometimes, man, God just deals with me. I don't understand, you know, just, and maybe he's been dealing with me the whole time, and finally, maybe I'm just kind of paying attention to it. And other times, there are things going on in my world, and I'm like, and I just kind of have this awareness. Sometimes people confront me, and it convicts me and brings about change in my life, and I, I turn back towards him. I don't want to be indifferent to those conversations. I may not like them. They may frustrate me. Sometimes God uses those to stir my heart up. But when I turn to him, 
I position myself for intimacy with him, for a closeness, for, to be able to engage in conversation with him, to, to hear his voice. And it's not like he just began to speak to me. He was trying to get my attention, trying to deal with me, trying to make me aware, trying to let me know what he has for me and who I am to him and who he is to me. But it's amazing, man, the minute that I have that awakening and I turn towards him, that all of a sudden he and I are engaged together in conversation. We're engaged together in relationship. Come close to God and God will come close to you. How do I, how do I begin to seek him? Well, the, the first step moves God towards us. The first step is turning towards him. That's really what repentance is. It's, it's turning away from something else that's meant the most to us, something else that's been the most valuable, and turning towards him. And, and again, he often doesn't eliminate those things behind us. He just gives them purpose. He reveals to us the place that they're supposed to be in our life, the purpose for that relationship, for that friendship, for that gifting, for that thing. Whenever my heart's turned towards him and it's engaged with him as opposed to what I can get out of this or what I can get out of them or what I can do in that situation, that I'm turned towards him, that all of a sudden he gives recognition to those things as to why they're there in the first place because I'm engaged in a relationship, in an intimate conversation with the one who loves me, the one who gave himself for me, the one who sacrificed himself for me. Then as I turn towards him, as I draw close to him, then we're drawn together. And my first step is towards him. So number three is this, is the first step moves God towards us. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you just to spend a moment towards God, man. Just connect with him in this time. And, and again, I call it, you know, Psalms 91 says that when we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, that we abide under the shadow of the Most High, uh, highly, my, all the, of the Almighty. And so it says, what, you know, what do we receive from God in that moment? What is the secret place of the Most High? I believe it's right now, this moment. It's, it's a secret place. It's only you and God know what's taking place there in you. And so in that secret place, in this secret moment, this could be you turning, turning back towards him, drawing closer to him. It could be you doing that in this moment. And maybe, maybe, you're, maybe that's not your story. Maybe you're in a different place and, and you're in a good place. But it's still a time to engage closely. Closely. So let's just spend a moment with the Lord, man. You just be vulnerable and transparent there in his presence in that secret place as Jesus speaks to you. Let's just spend a moment with God.